Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Welcome back to our buttercream queen, Tessa Huff. We've already done one episode about buttercream, but it certainly wasn't enough. So we've brought Tessa back. Welcome. Hi guys. Thanks for having me back on here. So good to have you back. This is going to be another epic cake day. I just know it. Yeah. After our first one, we like had this great chat. It was super detailed about all the different types of buttercream. If you haven't listened to it, you've got to go back right now. Just bop out of this one. Go listen to the first one. We went over all the different types, how to make them, our preferences, some tips, some tricks. But then at the end of the episode, we're like, we didn't even get to talk about decorating. So today we're going to like really dive in to that second phase once you've made your buttercream. And this is so perfect because this episode will be launched on the day your book is launched, your new cake book. Yay. Yeah, it comes out um, on April 2nd. Sorry, April 2nd. Hopefully that is today when this you guys will be listening. Um, it's called Icing on the Cake, appropriately named because there's so much to do with cake decorating, but also desserts of all kind. Um, there's lots of cakes because that's, that's my favorite, um, but also macarons and pies and just all the little details that make these desserts super special and decorative. Um, but there's just tons and tons of icing and frosting and buttercream tricks that um, hopefully we can talk about today. I'm so excited about this book. Like I'm literally beside myself. It's obviously it's right up my alley. It's my kind of topic that I truly love, but I've been such a fan of your style for so long. I think it's going to be really fun to see the book and see kind of like your approach applied to some different desserts too. I'm excited for the cakes. I'm just excited for the desserts. I just need to get my hands on this book. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, my approach is if, if you're not having fun doing it, you don't have to. I love to spend hours piping flowers out of buttercream in my kitchen and weaving pie dough. And I don't even have that extra time because I got the two kids running around. But if it means, you know, staying up till midnight just to get it done, like that is where I'm having so much fun. If that does not bring you joy, don't do it. You don't have to. And so that's kind of my approach to this book. Like, I just want you guys to be creative if you want to. And just practice those skills if it brings you joy. And if you're like hating it and you're like, why am I spending so much time piping roses and doing all these things? You don't even have to. It's still going to taste amazing. But it's just all those extra details that just make these desserts so beautiful. Um, and I really hope you guys get creative and enjoy it. You're the Marie Kondo of cakes. If it sparks joy, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, I didn't mean that. to really steal that from her, but yeah, it's true. Like if you're, I know some people will look at it and say, Oh, that's so fussy. And you know what? If that's you, you're still going to love the book because there's so many delicious recipes, but like, it's okay to be aspirational and be like, I want to try my hand at macarons and I want to make these beautiful cupcakes with all these details because I have all these step-by-step -step instructions on how to do it. So if you want to go for it, this is the book for you. 
And if you want to leave it behind and just try it occasionally, the, the recipes are still going to taste great, even without all the extra bells and whistles. I can't wait. I, I love that. I love when a book can suit any type of baker wherever they're at in their journey. But we need to pick up where we left off from your buttercream episode. And that is, now that we have all this delicious buttercream, what do we do next? How do we assemble these cakes? So let's talk a bit about assembly. How do you prep your cake layers for stacking and filling? Sure. I mean, yes, I do remember us talking all about the buttercream and different um, types of types of buttercream, the techniques to make them and everything. And then it's like, well, we didn't even touch anything to do with how to use it or how to frost a cake. And so there's I think all these people out there with a bowl, just eating it. They're just like, <laughs> what to do? You know what? So now I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> oh, well that's, that's okay too. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to frosting a cake, well, I'm going to tell you one thing first, you definitely will probably have to practice. And, um, you know, some people, it looks like it's so easy and, and I've been doing this for a long time and I've had a lot, a lot of practice. And so, but it's still, it's still tricky. Um, but practice first and then having the right tools and the right consistency of buttercream is going to make everything different. So if you're trying to frost a cake and the consistency of your buttercream isn't quite right, you're just going to you're going to have some trouble. And if you're trying to do it without the right tools, you're just going to make it harder for yourself. So if you have the right tools, the right consistency, and a little bit of practice, it's just going to make a world of change um, to your buttercream frosting game. So for the cake layers, um, I know for me, like taking the domes off is a, is a huge deal. Do you take care when you're baking? It's really interesting because I like the domes. I eat them and I don't really take oh, yeah. a lot of care to try to make sure I bake really flat layers. But then I see a lot of people that's a huge uh, like point of pride of a well-written recipe and a well-baked cake. If they've used the, um, the words slipping my mind right now, but the cake, cake bands, the cake strips. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you know do you what? do those things? Tessa, do you carve I've off never used, I've never used the cake strips before. Um, I don't mind a little browning on my cake. I actually, I like it. I, I don't care to keep the sides pale for whatever reason. Um, my cakes do dome slightly on the top and that's just like the extra bonus for the baker. You can, you, I like to cut it off. I eat it too, <laughs> for sure. Um, but one thing like, uh, there's two parts to this. One reason cutting off the domes, if it does dome, you want to have that, um, you're kind of, cutting off the crust, so to speak. And so like having that fresh open layer of cake on top, it's going to help like moisten and get that filling in there. So you're just kind of cutting off that barrier. So that makes like all the flavors like go together so perfectly. Um, also a lot of the doming might happen if you're not using the right uh, or the correct pan size for your recipe. So if you're baking a cake in a different pan, like a smaller cake pan, then you than instructed to, it might dome a little bit more, but like I've, I've never fussed with the cake strips before. Um, it, you can totally do that if you want to, it's still going to taste great. Um, but regardless of what you do, if your cakes come out naturally flat or with a dome before you start stacking them, you do want to cut that off because if you start stacking your cakes and they're not flat, then you're going to have this like leaning tower cake thing going on. And so that is whatever way you choose to bake them, that's totally up to you, but you definitely want to 
trim and level those cakes off before you get started. And how do you guys recommend learning to cut even layers? Do you guys use a cake cutter? I mean, I know what you two do because I've seen your videos, but what do you recommend for beginners to get good at getting those even layers? I mean, I, I, my early cake decorating days were at a local bakery and we didn't have too many extra tools. We just had knives, knives and cake pans. And you just go and you practice, practice, practice. Um, if you want to, they have like guides and cake levelers to help you out and to make sure each and every layer is perfectly flat that's totally fine if you feel comfortable with that and you don't want to waste any cake just in case you're still practicing and things come out uneven um or what you can do like i always use a long like serrated bread knife to cut my cake layers in half and what you want to do either if you're cutting them in half or just trimming the top off you just want to score around the cake first and then um, I usually cut my cakes like on a rotating turntable, um, which is going to be essential for decorating your cakes and icing your cakes layer later. Um, anyway, so you if you spin it and then you can kind of score around the edges and then just take little cuts all the way around before instead of just like cutting all the way through because you might, you know, not cut straight. Or if you want to do this, you can take like I've seen people take toothpicks and put them in like spokes of a wheel. And so if you like measure up like an inch or so and then put toothpicks every so often around the edges of, edges of the cake and then that can help guide your knife across so it's nice and straight. Yeah, I, I've tried the toothpick thing. For me, it's too tedious, but the first method that you recommended or how, how it sounds like how you do it is exactly how I do. I use a long serrated bread knife I do little scoring kind of cuts all the way around, maybe cutting in a half inch at first. And then mm -hmm. I just gradually cut closer and closer to the center while I spin the cake. It sounds, you're, you're speaking my language, Tessa. So all right. um, the only other thing I was going to mention too is, is I think the serrated knife is, is excellent. If you try to use a flat knife, it will press and kind of like drag and create zigzag cuts of your cake. It's really, really hard to get level. I'm not a big fan of specialty equipment, but that's one thing for sure. If you're making a lot of cake and you want to cut really beautiful, even layers that I think that's absolutely necessary and you'll use it a lot. I mean, you're probably eating bread too. So definitely. What are your thoughts about freezing or chilling the cakes beforehand? Yeah, um, you should definitely always chill your cake because um, once you chill the cake, it's going to make the make it less crumbly when you're cutting it. You're not going to have as many crumbs to deal with. Uh, if you want, if you're baking fresh cake that day and you want to use that cake, that's fine. I would always just pop it in the fridge at least for you know once it's cooled on the at room temperature, pop it in the fridge just for a little while. Wrap it in plastic wrap so it doesn't dry out, and it just makes it easier to handle when you're cutting and you're filling and you're frosting and keeps those crumbs from kind of going everywhere. But um, if you also want to make your cakes in advance. That's totally fine. Most cakes you can wrap again in plastic wrap, like really, really well though. Um, and put in the refrigerator for about two to three days in advance and they should still stay nice and fresh. Or you can freeze them again, wrapped very well. And you could probably freeze your cakes for a couple months really. And then thaw at room to, or thaw in the refrigerator the night before you want to go frost your cake. And so that's definitely something that I think um, it's a practice that I normally do. It's really, really tricky to frost um, a cake that's 
been sitting out. Um, it's too soft and it just, and by the time you go to eat it after you frost it, it'll be nice and soft again, I promise. But especially do not try to cut or fill or frost a cake that is still warm. It's just going to melt the buttercream and it will make it really difficult to cut. It'll start to crumble on you. Not even slightly warm, like, cause I, I've tried that before as a new caker going, Oh, it's, it's like almost room temperature. And you almost think you're getting away with it until you get to maybe the third layer stacked and it just starts sliding around and the warm frosting is squeezing out. It's disaster area. Um, so as far as frosting and filling a cake, do you measure out the amounts you put between the cake or do you eyeball it? Do you weigh it? How do you decide how much to put between each layer? Well, it depends on what kind of cake it is, what type of filling I'm working with. Um, since this is a buttercream episode, I'm assuming we're talking about buttercream here. So when I do like a buttercream filled cake, um, I do about half the height of the cake layer. So for instance, if my cake layers are about a half inch tall or an inch tall, I would do about a half inch thick layer of buttercream filling. Um, now I've been doing this for a long time. So if it's just a casual cake for me at home or for a friend, I typically eyeball it um, and I can eyeball a good cup or so of buttercream for my filling. If I'm trying to be specific or if I'm writing something for a book and I need to have those exact measurements, you can use a measuring cup. Um, you can use like a mechanical ice cream scooper that can give you like perfect portions for each layer. Or what you can do, and this is what I do for other fillings, um, is to pipe around the edges to create like your buttercream dam. So I use that when I have like things like pastry cream or jam that are a little bit looser that you don't want to be squished out of your filling. Um, and then that buttercream dam will hold all those fillings in. But you can also use that for when you're using buttercream as a filling itself. And that'll just keep um, the height of that filling the same for each layer. So what you're going to do is kind of pipe a ring of frosting around and you can either keep piping until everything is filled or you can just pipe a ring around the edges so it's the same height each layer and then just kind of fill that in with your buttercream and smooth it out with your offset spatula before you move on to the next layer. That is such a cool idea. I've never thought at the very start when you were saying about half the amount of the cake layer as far as the width of the frosting, I've never thought of it in those terms. Like I just, my brain just didn't go there. So that's a really good tip. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, that's kind of a personal preference, um, but that's just maybe a good place to start if you're trying to figure out what kind of ratio of buttercream to cake that you like. And of course that's going to change. Um, like sometimes I split my layers in half even more. So I have like these really thin layers and you can do like four or six layer cakes that way. And then you might want to, do a little bit less buttercream then. I don't know. It's kind of up to you. But if you are learning and you're just starting out and you're curious to know, um, I would definitely start with that. I'm glad you brought up the dam to hold in fillings. Are there any types of fillings that you try to avoid? Are that maybe because they're too soft or too loose? I always, I'm never, never really a fan of like fresh fruit unless you're going to be doing a cake that you're eating, you know, relatively quickly. I, you can do fresh fruit and refrigerate overnight and it'll be fine, but it's just, 
So there's more variables there than I like to, to worry about. Um, I used to do a lot of fresh fruit and whipped cream cakes back at the bakery when I was first starting. Um, and they were always made fresh that day and they were, they tasted wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but, um, you, I just having like sliced strawberries or banana in a cake and like kind of hit it in the filling. I'm never quite sure what's really going on in there. Um, but like I said, also like whipped cream is always a little bit trickier because it's just soft and very temperamental. But as far as other fillings, um, I like, I love a good pastry cream. Sometimes they can be a, a bit loose, but sometimes they thicken up beautifully. And then if, as long as you're using that buttercream jam to kind of hold everything in, you should be safe. Um, I am a big fan of meringue-based buttercreams. Not to say that you need to do that, but that's just my personal preference. I use both, though. So I use, like, a Swiss meringue is my go-to buttercream. Um, but you can also do a smooth side with an American buttercream or whipped buttercream just fine. Um, to do those smooth sides, you just have to, like I said earlier, you, you have to use the tools that are going to help you. Um, so like your rotating cake turntable, your icing smoothers, and really the, the key is the consistency of your buttercream. So if you're working with like a Swiss or an Italian meringue, that buttercream is going to have to be about the consistency of mayonnaise or like a thick yogurt. You don't want it too stiff or soupy or else it's going to give you trouble. And same with your whipped American buttercream. You really want to let that Whip. And I know we kind of talked about this in the other, in the first buttercream um, podcast, just making sure that it's not too stiff or too soupy because if it's too stiff, it's going to be, it's not going to spread nicely around the cake. It's going to start tearing at the cake itself. Um, so you just want to make sure that your buttercream is that really soft, but not soupy consistency. And that's really going to help make those super smooth sides. And if, you, if you've iced your cake and you tried your best, you thought you had the right consistency, everything was the right temperature, and you're still having a few holes or bumps here and there, the trick that I like to do is to take my metal icing smoother or offset spatula, and if you run it under really, really hot water to warm the metal and then dry it off really fast and then use that to spread or to smooth out the frosting because the heat from the metal of the spatula will help soft or help smooth out the butter cream itself so I just that's sometimes if I'm not getting that finish that I that I want I'll take my warmed spatula or smoother and just run it around the sides and that kind of evens everything out do you know that I love to do the same thing but I do it with my blowtorch I just heat the knife with the torch and I know it's ridiculous but it's a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's the same idea. Maybe that's even better because then you don't have to worry about water and, you, you know, getting on your cake. Just fire, I guess. <laughs> Just do it away from your cake. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about these icing smoothers and where do you get them? Which ones do you like? Is there anything people should look for if they've never used one? I have this, it's a Teco brand that I've used for years and years. It's like $3. It's just like this rectangular piece of metal. One side is straight and the other side actually has teeth on it. Just so you, 
and that's so like use as an icing comb if you want to have texture and I literally have had the same one for years um I don't think it needs to be anything special just as long as it's straight um and it, as long as it doesn't get warped or else it's just not going to do you any favors because you really want that straight edge because not only is it going to be smoothing out your cake, but I like to use it as a guide to make sure that the sides of my, of my cake are going straight up and down. Um, and you can find them anywhere. If you want to use just an offset spatula, that's fine. Um, I think most cake decorating suppliers would carry some some sort of icing smoother like i said i like the metal ones because you can heat them up in the ways that we talked about um if you have a plastic one i don't see that happening with your blowtorch <laughs> that probably wouldn't be a very good idea um like mine is it's like a rectangle rectangle so then it has that nice straight edge and so when i am icing the sides of the cake you can rest the bottom of your, this icing smoother on your turntable rotating turntable and then the other the long tall side will be pressed up against the side of your cake and so when you spin the cake around it'll help keep those sides of your cake nice and straight and i know i'm trying to describe this and you guys don't have a visual here but hopefully you can kind of understand what i'm talking about and um it'll just help keep the sides of your cake nice and straight as well as smoothing up the icing at the same time and one thing we should point out is that you have to put on a bit of extra icing to take off. So you have enough that you can take off to make the smooth side. Is that, do you agree with that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, especially if you're just starting, you might want to allow yourself a little bit of extra. I mean, nowadays I don't end up with too much extra that I'm scraping off, but um, not only are you scraping the frosting off to make it smooth, you're also pulling it around and letting your tools work for you because it's evening out the frosting by taking off a little bit of excess where you've added too much, but also evening it out by applying more to any of like little holes that you might have. So it's just kind of helping even it out, you know, when you have too much or too little. That just brought to mind for me, the importance of a good turntable. So when I first started making a lot of cakes, I was like, Oh, I need to get a turntable. And I just bought a very inexpensive plastic one and it didn't have a very smooth movement. And I had to put on a lot more frosting, probably part just because my skills were low and I was new and I was practicing, but I had to put a lot more frosting because of the motion of that turntable. And now I have one that spins. I mean, it is just silky smooth the way that it spins. And like you're talking about letting the tools kind of work for you. It just, I'll spend that one cake, maybe, I don't know, five or 10 times. Like it can go around so fast and really, really smooth out. So, but it's, it's part skill, but then also part tools for sure. Yeah, I agree. And if you are very, very interested in cake decorating or you make a lot of cakes at home, it's, it's kind of an investment to get one of those really nice heavy duty turntables. But like I've had mine literally since I had my old bakery and that was six years ago, um, six years ago since I left, since I moved. Um, but so yeah, I've had, <laughs> I've had my turntable probably for a good 10 years. I haven't needed a new one. They, they are great. They're, you know, so if you see yourself making a lot of cakes in the future, it's definitely a good investment. I think. It's definitely one of my most favorite pieces of equipment next to my mixer. I just, I adore that thing so much. 
And and to people that are listening and you say, well, I don't have one of those or I don't want to, you can totally make things work without it. But if we are, we're talking about like getting those really crisp edges and super smooth finishes, but that's, you know, don't be limited to that type of cake decorating either. There's other things you can do if you don't have that, or if you need to make do, or if you're not at home and you're, I don't know, baking somewhere else and you need, you know, to improvise, um, they're just trying to make it easy, looking for the easiest way to do things with the right tools. That's what I would recommend. But if you don't have that, you can totally make it work other ways. Now, kind of along the same lines, uh, and we briefly touched on it, but do you have any tips for making that super sharp top edge, that kind of corner? Yeah. Um, there's so many different ways to do that now and so many new tools since when I got started. I feel like I've been doing this cake thing for a while now <laughs> and there's like so many new tricks and things, but I guess since I've been doing it for so long and I just learned the same way, like I know they even make tools that have like a nice right angle that will, you know, create that. Um, it's like an icing smoother that's like a two-piece part thing where it's like on the side on the top and you spin it around and it'll make that edge for you. Or I know other cake decorators that put like a, a an acrylic disc on top have you seen that um anyway I don't do that <laughs> I, I it's it looks fascinating but I don't really do that I just use um the tools that I have and like again when you're smoothing out the sides of the cake because there's going to be a little bit of extra frosting on there and it like I said um it'll kind of even everything out by kind of pushing the frosting around the the edges of the cake but it also push it up the sides a little bit too so you end up with this lip of frosting around the top edge of your cake once the sides are finished so basically I'm working on this a let me start over real fast I will apply the frosting to the very top of the cake first and smooth it out as best as possible but I know I'm going to go back to the top after I do the sides so you're starting with a little bit of frosting on top nice and level and smooth as much as you can get it at first then you're working on the sides of the cake and as you work on smoothing out the sides of the cake, the frosting is naturally naturally going to be pushed up the sides a little bit, and then you'll end up with a lip of frosting around the top edge of your cake. And from there, you can take a small offset spatula and gently pull the frosting that has built up around the edges towards the center of the cake to, e to go back and even out the top again. And then if you really, really want to go back, you can always take like your icing smoother or an offset special and place it on the very top of the cake, just very gently, and then spin the cake one more time to really make sure that the top is nice and flat too. And you can even go back to work on the sides and top as many times as you want, just, you know, making little adjustments until everything is nice and crisp. Those adjustments, I could do them like all day long. It's kind of, I get addicted. And yeah, I'm like and the like, opposite. I, oh. <laughs> you know me, I just leave that rough edge. I'm like, it's good to go. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Thanks to you, I do that more often now. But if I'm in that mode of like, I just won't stop. And then there's no more frosting left and I have to start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to point this out. If any time along the way you're doing this and your frosting is getting soft or it's giving you trouble or if you've like been like fussing for with it too long, just take a minute. You can put your cake in the refrigerator for a moment and that'll help um, you know, stiffen things up a little bit. Um, not too long or else the buttercream might harden on you. But if you put it in the fridge for just a little bit and then it might be a little bit easier to smooth out some of those edges afterwards, after it's chilled a minute. 
Let's talk about cake boards. Now, it's so funny. I remember some <laughs> earlier seasons of the Great British Bake Off. They would like stack cakes with no boards. And I was freaking out because I grew up with my mom making wedding cakes. And there were always cake boards between layers of things. Not layers, but tiers. And I just can't believe that sometimes people will actually go without a cake board. But so what are your feelings on cake boards? Oh, I've always used them when I'm stacking cakes. And yeah, I used to do a lot of wedding cakes back in the day. And I don't think I would ever bring a tiered cake to an event, an event that big. It's already scary enough to deliver and stack a wedding cake at a location. And I wouldn't go without cake boards and proper support when you're stacking cakes. If it's just a two-tier cake, it's just at home for fun, um, you can get away with probably more. But the larger the cake the taller the cake, you're definitely going to want to use the right support system. So like if you want to have a friend make your wedding cake, that's totally fine. I support that DIY all the way, but make sure you're going to be using the, the proper support system so your cakes don't um, crash or fall collapse onto each other. And what we're talking about is having like the cardboard round um, underneath your cake and for when you're doing tiers, you're going to want to use the same size. So if you have an eight inch round cake, you're going to use an eight inch round cake board. Now, if you're just doing like one cake and you just wanted to transport it, you would do like an eight inch round cake with a 10 inch round cake board. But for the purposes of doing a tiered cake, you're going to want to use the exact same size. So you're not going to see that board, obviously, when you start stacking. And then you want to use wooden dowels um, and the amount will increase with the higher your cake gets and um, the more tiers you have. So you, you put the dowels in the cake. And so when you stack the cakes on top of each other, they're essentially the cardboard with the dowels is keeping them from crashing in on each other and collapsing. If you're just doing a two or three tiered cake, you could even use like heavy duty plastic straws, which are much easier to work with and cutting dowels of wood it's not the most fun but you know what they make all the cake decorating suppliers now these days make make it so much easier for you so they sell the dowels and in even sets of things of, of support systems that you can work with but um i, th I feel like i've talked extensively on this <laughs> so if you're just doing <laughs> something great. at home yeah if it's just like a two-tier cake at home don't worry about it as much um yeah if you have the cake cardboard at home, use it. And like I said, like if I'm making like a cheered cake, just like for my son's birthday or something, I will use plastic straws as my support and not go around cutting up wooden dowels if I don't have to. Amanda, you recently did these adorable smaller tiered cakes. You didn't use boards for those, right? Not for those. It's like a little bit of an optical illusion, but if you could see it in real life, like it would be crazy to support it because it's just the <laughs> recipe of a three layered six inch cake, one layer in a six inch pan, and then one in a bigger pan and one in a smaller pan. So it's eight, six and four. So it's a really tiny cake. It's not, I always think about the weight, like it's not any heavier than a three right. layered <laughs> six inch cake. And I wouldn't be putting a board in there. So definitely for this, you don't need it. And then thinking about the cutting, like I'm not expecting to cut a large <laughs> cake, you know, like a tiny, teeny, tiny little baby piece from the four inch cake. So I cut all <laughs> the way through. So I'm not worried about like, you know, any smashing or anything like that. I have a question about cake boards though, because it's something I debate 
Like I, every time I'm in this situation, I'm like, I don't know, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? I don't know. I don't know. So I like the look of a cake on a cake stand without a cake board. I don't want the cake board to show. Yes. So with that in mind, if I'm making a cake at home, but I need to take it somewhere like to a dinner party or for a photo shoot or whatever, I typically assemble the cake. Like say I'm making an eight inch cake. I assemble it on an eight inch round on the cake turntable. And then I move that cake with the eight inch round and set it onto a 10 inch cake board for delivery. So then I can, I have like something to hold. Cause if it's, you know, just flat, like how am I going to pick up this cake that I have no edge? So then I pick it up by the 10 inch board and then I take it off so that I still have that support under the cake, under the eight inch cake. And I put the eight inch cake board with the eight inch cake onto the cake stand. But every time I'm like, is this the way to do this? Or am I like wacky here? Like what are other people doing? Do you know, Tessa? No, this is a perfect question. This is actually a question that I get asked all the time. How do you get your cake onto the cake stand from either a board or turntable? And, you know, of course, the pictures that people are seeing are from my Instagram or from my book. And these are cakes that I'm making at home and I'm photographing them. And so it's not as, you know, real life as going to an event like that. But this is something I get asked all the time. And what you can do if you are making it at home and just want to finish the cake on the turntable, but then get it to a nice cake stand. Um, what I am doing is very, it's very careful work. <laughs> but what you can do is once you fit, you can do it on your, on your cardboard round. And once you finish the cake, especially if you're working with buttercream, you're going to refrigerate that cake. And so the buttercream will chill and harden. And so you're not going to be trying to move a cake with this, with soft buttercream frosting on the outside. Cause that's just going to make so much more trouble for yourself. You could touch it, you could ding it, you could bump it, and you don't want to worry about that. So first of all, chill your cake so the buttercream hardens. It's going to just make it easier to move. Now, if you're at home and you have all your tools and everything, and you're not at a restaurant and you don't have the pressure of that, this is the way I would do it. I would take the cake that's been chilled and put it take it out of the refrigerator on the cake board and put it back on to my rotating cake stand turntable. And what you want to do is take a very thin or small offset spatula and run it around all of the edges around the bottom to kind of release the buttercream from the cake board. So when you go to pick it up, parts of it aren't going to be sticking. So you release the edges all around the edges. Um, and then just very, very, very carefully <laughs> use a large offset spatula or um, I think they even make things specifically for cakes in this situation to go underneath the cake and then very carefully move it to your cake stand and lower it back down. Again, because we've chilled our cake, the buttercream has hardened here. So if you need to touch it barely, you can, and it won't make too much of a you know mess or you won't bump it too much. Now, if you are going somewhere else, like Amanda was talking about, I actually do like her idea here. Yeah, you can you can put it on a cake board of the same size so it's hidden. So when you, and this is going to take a lot of that fuss that I just talked about, you know, out of the equation. So um, you can move the cake that's on a board 
like onto a platter or a cake stand or something wherever you are at, whatever venue you're at. But yes, definitely for transporting in between, you will want to put it on a cake board that's a little bit larger. So if you have a cake, an eight inch cake that's iced and decorated on an eight inch cake round, then place that on a 10 inch cake board for transportation purposes. And then you can put that whole thing in a 10 inch square box. So that way the board on the bottom is the same Perfect. diameter as the square <laughs> box. And so that the edges of the box aren't hitting the edges of your cake because there's going to be a one inch buffer on every side. And I know that was a lot of information, so hopefully <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, everybody asks me, how do you move the cake from the turntable to the cake stand? It's just, the answer is very carefully, <laughs> very carefully, with a lot of practice and definitely chill the buttercream before you get started. So it's just, you know, less room for air, less fingers to, you know, slip and poke your cake and um, chilling at first is just going to make it easier to handle. Thank you to Subi Honey for sponsoring this episode of Flower Hour. The next time you're baking, consider skipping the sugar and substituting it for honey. But not just any kind. Try using the traditional filtered Subi Honey or Aunt Sue's raw and unfiltered honey. Both are a great alternative for sugar. For starters, you can use a third less honey than sugar when you bake, which means you're reducing calories. And different kinds can add different flavors, like Subi's orange honey or Aunt Sue's wildflower honey. Plus, when you use Subi honey or Aunt Sue's, you're guaranteed pure, premium, USA honey that's tested for the highest quality in purity, clarity, and flavor. How do they ensure this quality? Because all of their honey is produced by the 270 independent family beekeepers who make up the Sioux Honey Association Co-op. The co-op started nearly 100 years ago, and to this day, they still know all of the beekeepers by name. Because they believe it's not just where your honey comes from that matters, it's who. So the next time you're baking... Pick up a bottle of Sue B or Aunt Sue's at your favorite supermarket or shop for honey online at suebee.com. That's S-U-E-B-E-E.com. Excellent. Oh, that was awesome. I feel very validated now because like that transporting thing has stressed me out for a long time. And, and what you said to do is what I do. And I'm going, okay, good. I can just move on from this in my life. I'll just put you on my shoulder. And when I start to stress out, I'll go, Tessa said it's okay. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, but one thing, let me tell you, you will want to do, like, if you're putting that eight inch cake on a 10 inch board, like you might want to put something in between the cake boards themselves. Cause you don't want the cake to slide around within the box too. You know what I mean? So yeah. you can, some people yeah. do like a dab of frosting or you can use, anything else sometimes I've just used tape to tape in between the, the cake boards themselves so the cardboard on top of it themselves isn't sliding around that's a good point to secure that down somehow yeah yeah I figured out that Swiss or, or any kind of meringue buttercream it tends to loosen up a little bit more and I've had a cake slide before when I did two boards that way American buttercream worked a little better as the actual glue so if I'm using meringue I do use the tape method and then one other thing that just popped to mind is if you're doing a cake board that's visible so like you're going to serve it with a cake board, the lip showing, make sure you get the coated cake boards, you guys, because I've gotten 
grease proof ones and I've got non grease proof ones and it just takes away so much from the appearance. If you get one that's not coated and you can see that greasy, it looks like a pizza box. It's just kind of gross and, and not what anybody wants to see. So the coated is just slightly more expensive sometimes, but worth every penny. I have a whole box of the uncoated. I didn't know that's what I was buying. And uh, it's so sad and annoying because it does not look nice. And they're basically worthless unless you're using it under a cake where it's completely concealed, right? It's like, otherwise you're not going to use it again. You're not going to do that to yourself. So anyway, there's my commercial for cake boards. (laughs) Let's talk a little about how to use our buttercream in some ways we didn't talk about in the last episode. So Tessa, will you give us some of your best tips for coloring buttercream? Sure. Um, People have asked this before too, like how to get really vibrant colors and things like that. I will tell you right away that trying to color Swiss meringue or Italian meringue is going to be more difficult than trying to tint um, an American buttercream. For some reason, American buttercream really takes the color a lot more strongly. So if you want like bright colors... Um, you don't need to use very much food coloring. And if, if you're using food coloring here, I always use a gel-based food coloring one. I just think that their colors are, have just more, they're just more vibrant in general. You don't need to use as much and you're not adding liquid to your buttercream. Um, so if you, I always use gel food-based coloring. And then if you're trying to tint, um, a, a Swiss meringue buttercream, you will need more of that food coloring than you would with your American buttercream. If the shades are still beautiful, but if you wanted like a bright red, you're going to need a lot of food coloring. So um, it kind of just depends on what you're after and what your preference for buttercream is. But yeah, just use it. I think you can even, it's so funny now you can find almost everything even at like your regular grocery store, I think you can find like gel-based food colorings these days. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you can. I don't know. Okay, so we talked about the smoother that you like, and it has the teeth on one side. Do you have any tips for combing cakes if you want to give that texture on the sides? Yeah, for anyone that's kind of listening and doesn't have a visual here, it's like a it's a like a comb. Like we said, it has teeth on one side. It doesn't mean to sound scary or anything, but it just has like a it's like an icing comb, and you'll use it the same way you will as as your icing smoother, and so when you're going to hold it against the side of your cake um, and then spin the turntable. And so those teeth will drag through your frosting to leave like a textured stripey pattern behind. So you will want to have your, your cake already iced with um, a decent amount of frosting on all of the sides and have it smoothed. Now here um, I find you might need to play around a little bit to find out exactly how thick of a frosting you have and to work with whatever icing comb you're using. Um, and also you don't want to chill your cake before this because if you try to use the icing comb and drag it through the frosting and the cake has been chilled and the buttercream has hardened, then it's not going to come out as smooth and you're going to have a lot of trouble there. I've never done it. So thank you for that. That's really helpful. Oh, you have an assignment. You have to do this. Jeremiah. It's oh, so fun. Yeah. I, it is so fun. Every time I see you guys do it, I'm like that. I need to put that on my like to-do list immediately. Do it. And if yeah, you don't have that, a techo comb, that's the one. 
Yeah, that's oh, the I, one. Oh, I've got it. I think I have two. Okay, somewhere. good, 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 good. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> and then, okay, so the stripes, I've seen, I feel like I've seen both of you do the stripes. That's really cool. Can you just briefly talk us through the, how to do the stripes? Because that involves combing, right? One way, yes. Um, there's, I practice two different ways to do buttercream stripes on a cake. And one way is to use the comb. And what you're doing is you're going to be frosting your cake first, you know, just your smooth finish, basic cake. And then you're going to be using the comb to take away frosting to create those, like that textured ridge effect that you would with, that you would normally do with the icing comb. And then and I said, you don't chill your cake. Now you're going to chill your cake. Now, after it has the texture already in it, chill your cake um, for about 15 minutes. You don't want it to be super cold or else you're going to be fighting different te- temperatures of buttercream. But chill your cake um, so it's pretty stiff on the, on the sides of the cake. And then what you want to do from there is take a different color of buttercream. And what you're going to do is you're going to apply it to the sides of the cake. And you're filling in those ridges where we took icing out the first time. So now you have two colors. And then when you smooth it out after that, you're going to be kind of unveiling this stripe configuration by, um, you know, smoothing that back out and you'll keep smoothing around and around until that stripe reveals itself back out. And it's actually a really cool technique. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty fun. Hopefully that made sense. The other way you can make stripes, and this isn't as precise, but it's just as easy and just as fun, is just to pipe your stripes around your cake. And you just using, um, like, if you're doing two colors, just have two piping bags with the same round tip. And then you're just going to be piping stripes up the side of the cake and then smoothing those out. And those might not be as precise, but you'll still get the same effect and you can do thin stripes or thick stripes there. I feel like I'm not seeing the second type that you mentioned. I'm not seeing that as much lately, but it's such a cool effect. You're like, you're making me want to go do a striped cake right now. I think it's a really cool look and it's fun like to play with color in that way. The same kind of technique I would do to do like any sort of gradient of color or ombre or color block, you know, so to do more like of an ombre effect, you will just start at the bottom of the cake and, you know, and pipe like a dark pink and then stop, change your colors, add some white, do like a light pink around that. And then kind of working your way up the side of the cake, you can, you know, like, Actually, I'm going to give my book a shout out here. If you see the cover of the book, it has this ombre finish in it. So it goes from pink to to peach to orange to yellow to white as you go up the side of the cake. And that's just me piping stripes around the cake, starting from the bottom, working my way up and just kind of blending those colors. And so then when you go back and use your smoother and smooth everything out, the colors blend together perfectly. That cover is so beautiful. It looks like a sunset to me, just easy on the eyes. So pretty. Just something you want to stare at for a nice long time. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Okay. So what about tips for dripping a cake? Yeah. Um, if you're going to do like a chocolate ganache drip on your cake, chill your cake first, because as you're adding the chocolate, um, I find that a chilled cake 
that will help control the drip a little bit by being a little bit cold. And what you want to make sure when you're, when you're doing your chocolate drip is just to make sure that it's the right temperature. Obviously you don't want it to be too hot or it's going to melt the buttercream and just drip and slide all over your cake. And if you don't want it to be too cooled down or cold or else you'll go to drip it and it'll clump and it just won't be pretty. And so you're looking for something that's thick and fluid but not hot and if you have any questions or doubts do a practice strip you can go on the back of your cake and just kind of and I I know people some people use like a squeeze bottle I use a spoon I don't I, like I said I've been doing this a while so I don't like to use any extra specialty uh, tools not that a squeeze bottle is a specialty tool but anyway um, I just like to use a spoon and just kind of drip it on the edge of the cake and then you can just see with your test strip if it's the right temperature if it's running everywhere that means it's too hot so um, but again, chilling the buttercream first will help kind of control your drip. And if you're really brave and confident, you can totally pour your chocolate ganache straight onto the center on the top of your cake and then smooth it out and it'll naturally drip on the sides. Um, and that definitely give you a more organic look here. Um, but if you want to have more precise strips or you're still practicing or you, you don't want to just go for it. Um, I like to do the drips around the edges first. And like I said, I just use a spoon and kind of just nudge the ganache around and over the edges. And then while the ganache is still fluid, um, I pour the remaining on the very top of the cake and quickly smooth it out. So it all kind of, kind of connects before everything dries. That was super helpful. Let's talk about meringue. So do you have any tips on how, how to get it to stick to the cake and then any torching tips? Um, just go for it, really. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Um, torching tips, um, you might, it's really fun. As Jeremiah said earlier, it is really fun to play with a culinary torch and, and pull that out. And everyone's always super impressed with a cake or a pie or whatever that has that meringue that's been beautifully crisped and torched and, and toasted. Um, you probably will need to play around with distance and power. I know mine has a setting of like, you know, how much flame is coming out of it. Um, and then just kind of play around with how close you are to the cake itself and how far away. I don't know. I would say about, six to eight inches away to start and see if hopefully things don't catch fire. Um, as far as applying the meringue to the cake, I don't know if I have many trips or tips or tricks besides just go for it. Just, just maybe in this sense, um, pile it on a little bit heavier with like your rubber spatula before you start smoothing it out. So you're not going to, um, getting too many crumbs in it. And then you definitely want some texture, for the um, blowtorch to catch on. So that would be a situation where I wouldn't necessarily recommend a really smooth finish. That's when you can kind of go a little bit more rustic and take your spatula to make all these swirls and peaks of meringue. So then when you go to toast it later, um, the edges kind of catch and have that nice toasted look on them. And then what about flowers? Do you use fresh flowers on cakes? And if so, do you have any tips for applying those to, to a cake? Yeah. 
Um, fresh flowers are beautiful on cakes and just like such an easy way to decorate. Um, but definitely use, well, this should be obvious, but don't use any toxic flowers. So <laughs> you can quickly do a little bit of research, do a Google search, or you can look in my book. I have a list there of flowers that are safe to, and not necessarily saying safe to eat because there's not that many edible flowers. I don't know if there's people wanting to even eat them, but there's definitely flowers that are anything non-toxic, obviously, and anything that's going to be harmful to keep away from your cake. But also you don't, and I learned this when I was making wedding cakes and, and dealing with other vendors. So using a florist and then I'd come in with my cake and you don't know where those stems have come from. And um, you don't want to be putting the flower stems directly into your cake. So you're not going to take your rose and shove it into your frosting. Um, maybe if you know exactly where that flower came from or wherever it's been sitting in. But I like to typically, if, if you're not placing them on, there are a few tricks here. You can just wrap the stems. You can use floral tape just to wrap it up. You can use like plastic wrap or they even make these, um, plastic tubes almost specifically for this, where you, kind of shove this plastic tube into your cake and then you can stuff your flowers into that tube. We could even use like plastic straws in that situation too. And then if you really need to anchor your flowers in like onto the side of the cake, you can use like floral wire and bend it in half, almost like a little hairpin and then kind of stick that around the stem to secure it to your cake. But you know, most importantly, try to use organic flowers that have been unsprayed and don't put anything toxic on anything you plan on eating. In the same vein, do you have tips on how to garnish with fresh fruit? Fresh fruit. Um, make sure that it's dry. So if you're going to be washing your berries, make sure they're soup they've been dried out before you're putting them on your cake because if there's any moisture that you're going to on the fruit and you're putting it on the cake, the moisture is going to kind of pool and affect the buttercream that it's sitting on. We have a question here about double barrel cakes. I'm not seeing these as much. I feel like when I first started getting into cake, it was like all I saw coming from Australia, these really, really tall cakes. Uh, can mm -hmm. you kind of pull back the veil on those and, and tell our listeners how those are made? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people are going, double barrel, what are you talking about? It's basically um, a really, really tall cake. So you could be stacking a cake but it's the same size. So it could be like two six inch round cakes stacked on top of each other. And in that sense, you would probably want to do like a cardboard round in between and even dowel it and put support underneath. So you're not necessarily stacking what like eight layers on top of each other. You're more doing like two four inch cakes on top of, or four layer cakes on top, on top of each other. Um, to create this like double height of the same size as opposed to a tiered cake. And in that sense, um, it can be a bit tricky because I know for me, like some of my tools just aren't that tall. So like my icing smoother is only six inches tall. And if you're getting this cake and it's probably more like 12 inches tall, then you just, it might be just a little trickier, but you can totally make it happen. But yeah, it's more two cakes stacked on top of each other, not just like the super, super, super tall cake. So you will want the support system within that cake. And they do look really cool. You might have trouble finding a box to fit it though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Good luck uh, transporting that, that tower of cake. No fun. <laughs> Let's talk about inspiration. What inspires your amazing designs? You know what? I've got, I had someone ask me that recently and I used to say fun things like, Oh, I like to travel and architecture and art and everything. But you know what? These days I'm like, I'm doing the mom thing so much that I'm just with my kids. And so traveling is kind of off the table these days. Um, but now it's just like finding the time to just play in the kitchen and you, like pulling out all the piping tips. And I have this like little container of piping tips. They're not very organized. And I just when I do have the time, I just dump that on my counter and then just using color palettes that um, go together, usually like kind of inspired by like flowers and, uh, or I like to work with different blues and, or pinks and things like that. And just playing and exploring and seeing the way that these piping tips work and what textures they make and what things you can change about them that aren't typically, what they're typically used for. Like you use your petal tip to usually make a rose, but you can also use it to make ruffles and all these different designs and just kind of playing around and then applying those to the cake and just like having time to just kind of explore and be creative um just kind of lets you be able to come up with all these new ideas but finding that time sometimes can be tricky so (laughs) i don't know for me lately that's just what's been working such a beautiful, honest, and inspiring answer. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Amanda, you do such great work like that, too. And you always talk about cake decorating without rules. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, too. Yeah, and that play element, I totally identify with you of just like having fun with it and doing what you enjoy. I think it really shows in the work. It definitely shows in in your cakes. I never look and feel the labor that went into it, even when it is a lot of labor, I just see the beauty and the joy that's behind it. I think it's really evident. I'm curious with your designs, how meticulous are you beforehand? Do you sketch them out? Are you getting the, like, do you start with the flavor and then you get the design or do you start with the design and then you get the flavor? What's that process like for you? I mean, it definitely depends on what I'm working with, if, or what the purpose is. Like when I'm writing recipes for a book and I know I want to cover a certain amount of cake designs, you know, um, and then trying to, and I, I do like to pair those with certain flavors. So it kind of the hints at each other, like I'll do like a floral element. I, I wouldn't necessarily do that with like, like a really dark chocolatey mocha although that would probably be beautiful cake but like I put like all these piped flowers like on a cake that has blackberry and lavender so then like kind of the themes kind of run together but like I said this is for a book where I'm like I really want to cover buttercream flowers I want to cover you know this stripy texture design um but when I'm doing things just for fun um I don't tend to sketch out that much these days so um Sometimes, sometimes I do, if, if I know I have a specific idea in mind that I, that I saw somewhere, I really want to try, but other times, like I said, I'm just playing. And so it just kind of comes more organically that way. But I do try to, I do kind of think about the design and the flavors at the same time too. You, when you're, you're doing designs and you can use whatever type of buttercream, um, you can use American buttercream or I like to use Swiss or Italian meringue, 
um, just make sure that it's not too stiff or else it's going to be one, it's going to be difficult to pipe. It's going to be harder. You're going to need a lot more pressure to pipe that really stiff icing. And then it's, when it comes out of the piping tip, it's not going to be as smooth. You can tell when it's too stiff or too cold because then sometimes on the edges, it can kind of be kind of rigid. Um, but also it's kind of finding like the sweet spot because you don't want it to be too warm or soupy because then you go to pipe and it loses its shape and it gets all soupy. So um, just make sure that you keep that in mind that you're starting with the right consistency and then as you work you're just being aware of the temperature because if you're holding the piping bag and if it's if you're in a hot climate or even if you just have really really warm hands the buttercream is going to warm up as you go and as you work so just keep be aware of that and once you hit that point then you should kind of stop and assess and like you can go back and chill your buttercream for a little bit um, and just take a breather before you get started again. So you're not trying to pipe like flowers with droopy buttercream. That was super helpful. And this has been such an exciting, amazing episode. Hey, Jeremiah, I just had this thought. Did we get to ask Tessa the flower hour question in the first buttercream episode? Did we ask you, Tessa? I don't think I don't, we did. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't remember Let's one. Do so it. probably no. Oh we, no. Okay. Shame on us if we have uh, you two times and we don't ask you the so true. flower hour question. So before we set you free to go make some more gorgeous cakes, we need to know if you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you make for them? Oh my god. Oh my gosh, maybe it's a good thing you didn't ask me the first time. Um, there's a lot of pressure on this question. Oh, it's like the debate on do I want to bake for like my baking hero or, you know what I mean? Um, definitely yeah. my baking hero is Dory Greenspan. She's amazing. She's been in this game for so long. It was her book that I was my first baking cookbook that I ever bought. But, you know, that's kind of scary too. Like, oh, I know they say don't meet your heroes, but like I would totally meet her, of course, at any chance I would get. But to bake for Dory, now that would be a little scary. And she seems so nice and so sweet. Um, so hopefully she wouldn't be too critical. But yeah, I think that would be it. And what would you make? Oh, what would I make? Oh my gosh, I got so wrapped up in thinking about <laughs> Dory that I <laughs> forgot about what I was going to make her. Oh, that's oh, that's even trickier. I mean, it would have to be some sort of cake because that's that's totally my thing. Oh, jeez, now the pressure is on to think of something. Um, let's okay. Go it back needs to be to, from your new book. Oh, for my new book. Okay, I was going to throw back to my first book with that with the London fog cake that everybody likes. But let's. Let's look at the new book. Um, there is the sticky toffee pudding date cake I have in my book. It's yes. actually on my blog too. And I, re I redid it for the book. And the cake layers themselves are have um, like a sticky toffee date cake layer. Um, and they're like really rich with brown sugar and the dates. And then they, they get soaked in this really gooey toffee sauce. And then it's filled and frosted with a caramelized white chocolate buttercream. 
it's like when it's, I think Valrona chocolate like pioneered this technique where you get white chocolate and you roast it in the oven and it turns and it toasts and, and you, you, you have to like smooth it out as you go. It, it's so delicious. Cause I don't, I'm not like a huge white chocolate fan because I can find, I find it's really sweet, but when you toast it and you make it caramelized, it's so good. And then you add that to your buttercream and then this cake gets a toffee drip on top and it's so delicious. So I will make that for Dory Greenspan oh. if she ever wants to come over to my house. Dory, I <laughs> hope you're listening. <laughs> Amanda and I will eat the leftovers oh my gosh, if there are I'm any. I'm so there. That sounds amazing. Well, Tessa, thank you so much. I hope everybody listening, they need to get a copy of your book. Congratulations on book number two. I know yes. I'm super excited about oh, thank it. Thank you. I know it's going to be a treasure. So and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, there's us. a lot of information in this one. If, you, if you've seen the first one and you're like, wow, there's a lot of words in there. And this one's like, oh, okay, there's a lot of information in there too. Because <laughs> I just want to sh share all that I know so you guys have the most success in your own kitchens. There's like tons of step-by-step -step photos in this one, lots of tips and tricks. And again, I just want to encourage everyone to be creative in their own way and to explore and make sure that they're having fun. Follow the recipes because um, they're going to taste awesome but as far as the decoration it's only for your own inspiration and i hope that you guys just truly get in your kitchens and explore and have fun try out the techniques you can mix and match them as much as you want and i just know you're going to be creating these like show-stopping desserts any day now i know it. it's gonna be awesome and if you do tag me on your instagram i want to see because they're gonna be beautiful Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.